the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called What is a Church? Focusing on a deeper understanding of what it is that we are called to as a church and what it is that we are called to do as Christians. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to two different sections of Scripture. I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at Matthew 26, verses 26 to 30. We're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. These two sections of Scripture are are about the sacraments of the church. And so uh, let's take a look at Matthew 26 and Matthew 28. Matthew 26 first, starting at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Matthew 28, starting at verse 16 and reading to the end of the the Gospel of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is a church? Last, when we met together, we talked about what's at the heart of the church, which is the preaching of the word. This is central to the life of any faithful church, the preaching of the word. If you want for there to be a church, if you want to have a church, there must be preaching there. And the preaching that takes place must simply not be the thoughts that come from the head of the pastor, but the preaching of the Bible, the preaching of the gospel, the scriptures are what need to be preached. That's what needs to be at the central uh, the central part of the life of the church. And this is one of the things that all or almost every Protestant church would agree with, that at the very core of what makes up who we are is the preaching of the gospel. It's one of the reasons that that's the central act of any worship service, that in every worship service there's the preaching of the gospel at some point in the message, and it's, at the, it's the center of what we do. It's what we come to do. We come to sing, to pray, 
to, to give our gifts and offerings and we come to hear God's word preached. The word of God, the gospel of God needs to be at the heart of the church. There's a second aspect of what makes up a church too. And the second aspect is maybe the most divisive thing in the history of the church. And that's the sacraments. Sacraments are difficult for me to talk about. Perhaps difficult for all of us to talk about because of how divisive they've been. Like I said, sacraments have been the most divisive part of church life in the history of the church. The Protestant Reformation was a major part of this. Maybe you know about the, about the Protestant Reformation. You likely know the story of the event that's usually pointed to which sparked the Protestant Reformation, that Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. He was arguing with a common practice at that time, the practice of indulgences. And one of the things that's interesting is at the beginning of what Luther was doing, at the beginning of what you could term the Protestant Reformation, there were a lot of people that encouraged him in his task, particularly as he called for moral reforms within the church. One such leader was a, was a Dutch theologian named Erasmus, who agreed with a lot of Luther's criticisms and encouraged him, particularly at the beginning, until Luther started criticizing the sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church. And when he did that, Erasmus said that the breach between him and the Roman Catholic Church was no longer able to be repaired. He said the breach is irreparable. This was the most important thing that led to Martin Luther being kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church. Not even so much his teaching on grace, but his teaching on the sacraments is what created this first break within the church, within the Western church. And immediately, the Protestant church split over the issue. The Roman Catholic Church had said that the Lord's Supper, the the Mass, the Eucharist, became the body and the blood of Jesus when the priest lifted up the bread, lifted up the host, and said, this is my body. Or in Latin, the term that the priest would say is, hoc es corpus meum. This is my body, hoc es corpus meum. This led to some of the people at the time of the Reformation thinking that this was a magic word or that this was a magic phrase. And hoc es corpus became hocus pocus. If you ever wondered where that word comes from, it's people misunderstanding hoc es corpus. They thought that it was a magic word. And so they would say it, hocus pocus, to try to make something magical happen because they believed that magic was at the center of this service when the bread and the wine became body and blood. The Lutherans disagreed. Luther and his followers said that the, this, this changing of the body and uh, the, of the bread and the wine into the body and the blood, this just wasn't the case. This just wasn't true. They said that Christ was physically present, but in a mysterious sort of way. And whereas the, the official Roman Catholic position is called transubstantiation, Lutherans called it consubstantiation. They said there's a real physical presence, but not like the Catholics teach that there's a real physical presence. But this created the first breach in Protestant Christians in the West because the Reformed said, you know, one of the things that's really essential in understanding the Lord's Supper is that there's a real physical absence in the elements of, the, of communion. They said what is evident to us is that Christ is physically absent, and that's one of the things that should encourage us because it means that he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, advocating for us. They said, however, there's a real spiritual presence in the elements. What the Reformed say is that because God is, is Trinitarian, and they want to stress Trinitarian action and activity, they say there's a real spiritual presence in the bread and in the cup, but there's a real physical absence. But this was something that caused a split between the Reformed and between the Lutherans. Then the Zwinglians, who were at the same time, Zwingli said, no, there's not a real physical presence, there's not a real spiritual presence. The bread and the cup, they're just a memorial of what it is that Christ has done. There's not 
physical or spiritual presence in the Lord's Supper. And so there was a third stream that split off at the very beginning of Protestant Christianity. And then shortly thereafter, then the Baptists came and said, hey, wait a second, you guys. You all are having these disagreements about the Lord's Supper, but you all are baptizing the wrong folks. You all baptize babies, and we should only baptize people upon a profession of faith. And so there was another split that took place in the life of the Protestant church. And so at the, at the center of the Reformation were split after split after split, and the breaks, the ruptures that happened, almost always had to do with the sacraments. Still today, this is one of the big things that divides people in the church. When I first became a pastor, I was looking for direction in ministry. I got connected with this really faithful group of pastors that I was really thankful for. And they uh, had a, they, that group of pastors would meet at certain predetermined times throughout the year. There were a couple of really wise and experienced pastors that had started this group and would give younger pastors advice about how it is that they should carry out ministry. We were all agreed that the, the central task of, of the ministers to preach faithfully, and so there was going to be talk about how to be a faithful and a a biblical preacher, and I was really excited to potentially be a part of this group, especially as a young pastor, and they seemed really excited to have me join as a part of the group, and then they found out, oh, you baptize babies. I was like, yes, I do, and they're like, well, this is a group for Baptists, so you can't participate in this group. You have to be a Baptist in order to be a part of this fellowship. Well, that was too bad, But I understood, right? Because this was a theological difference between me and some of these other pastors. But it was one of the things that illustrated that that sacraments, they they tend to divide within the church. It's not just Baptists who have have divided over this, right? So I want to make that clear. I remember when I was at Wheaton College, I was studying Greek. My Greek professor was was reading through the class list. He was like, Derek Bukema. And I was like, present. He said, Bukema, are you Christian Reformed? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I am, I am. How did you know? And he's like, your last name kind of gave it away. And he said, let me tell you a story. And he had a twinkle in his eye. He said, you know, my grandfather was a Baptist minister in the Grand Rapids area. Now, if you aren't familiar, there are a lot of Christian Reformed churches in the Grand Rapids area. And so he said, he was a Baptist minister in a Christian Reformed location. And he said, and I got to tell you, Derek, some of the Christian Reformed folks did not like that he was a Baptist. And so on Sundays, when he was on his way to go preach, they would hide in the bushes. And as he passed by, they would hurl rotten vegetables at him. Yikes, right? That's not good. It illustrates the level of division that has existed within churches and so often the division that has existed because of sacramental understanding. And so one of the things that I've been hoping for and praying for throughout the week, it's one of the things I'm silently praying for right now as I'm talking to you, is that God would give us peace and unity. I would be so sad if later today I hear some people from Orland Park CRC were throwing vegetables at Baptists, right? That would be really sad. Please don't do that. I'd be sad if some of the Baptists that are members here of this congregation leave and start hurling vegetables at some of the pedo baptists some of those that have, that have their children baptized. Let's not do that, okay? Can we just agree at the outset, no rotten vegetable hurling at the end of this message? But that kind of illustrates for us that there is a lot of division that can exist when we talk about the sacraments. And, and so, you know, it's with some fear and trepidation that we step into this. And I'm going to venture into this and talk about a few different things. I'm, I want to talk about the number of sacraments we have I want to talk about the ways that the sacraments are connected to the Old Testament, and I want to speak briefly about what it is that we're reminded of when we participate in, in the sacraments that we have as a church. So let me try to run through that, because our time is brief, so let's, let's go for it. All right, here we go. How many sacraments are there? Well, there are two sacraments. 
There are two sacraments that were given by the Lord Jesus Christ, and these are the two sacraments that we read about today. We read about Jesus at the Last Supper instituting communion, instituting the Lord's Supper. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He gives to them the bread. He gives to them the cup. He says, this is my body. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the reason that we have the Lord's Supper as a church is not because this is some sort of thing that we have invented because we thought that it would be interesting. No, this is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we gather together, we're commanded to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that as we celebrate it, We do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we bring to mind his death on the cross for us. In the same way, baptism isn't just something that the church decided to do, that just sprung from its own mind, but we're told in Matthew 28 that as Jesus is concluding his ministry, just before he ascends victorious into heaven, he says, go into all the earth, go into all nations, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the fact that we had a baptism this morning isn't because we thought that we would have like some sort of water celebration to start out somebody's life, but because the Lord Jesus Christ commanded baptism. And he commanded baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because of the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper are supposed to be at the center of any church life because of the command of Christ and not because of the invention of any human being. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called What is a Church? Focusing on a deeper understanding of what it is that we are called to as a church and what it is that we are called to do as Christians. These two sacraments that we have as a church... We have because these are two things that the Lord Jesus Christ instituted. Other traditions have more sacraments, other Christian traditions. One in particular says that there are seven. The Roman Catholic Church adds five sacraments to baptism in the Lord's Supper. They add penance and confirmation and marriage and holy orders, which is priestly ordination, and extreme unction, which is last rites. We as a church, as a Reformed church, We've determined that only those sacraments which Jesus initiated should be sacraments within the church. Now, we still have marriages in the church. We still have profession of faith, which Catholics call confirmation. We still have ordination. Ministers still visit the sick, particularly as they're approaching the end of their life, but we don't have a formalized last rites. We are called to confess our sins to one another, and we have confession and assurance in our worship services, but we don't have a formalized process for confessing to the priest. But we do still keep and remember and call sacraments the two things that the Lord instituted, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And because Christ Jesus made the commands that we do these things, we follow his commands and do these things. And I want to talk about how it is that these two sacraments are connected to the Old Testament because they both are. So first, the Old Testament connection to the Lord's Supper is very clear to us. You see, the the Last Supper that Jesus was having with his disciples, this was a Passover meal that Jesus was having with his disciples. You may remember that, that they were in the upper room Jesus is speaking to his disciples as he, he knows he's going to be facing his death, and they were celebrating the Passover together. 
And because they were celebrating the Passover, there was wine and there was bread. There was unleavened bread. And so he took unleavened bread, and that's what he broke and gave to them and said, this is my body. And he took wine in the cup, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my blood. The Passover, you may remember, was a time when the people of Israel remembered that they had been saved from Egypt, and they had been redeemed out of slavery. And the people of Israel kept the Passover to remember the fact that they were redeemed out of slavery and that they were saved from death by the blood of the Lamb. The Lord came and instructed Moses, and Moses instructed the people of Israel that the way that the Passover was to be kept was in a specific way. The people had been in Egypt, and plagues had been visited upon the Egyptians, and a final one was coming, which was going to be the one by which the people of Israel were were delivered from slavery. And the promise was that the Lord was going to send an angel of death into Egypt and that this angel of death was going to take the life of every firstborn son in Egypt. The exception was for all of those who found within their flocks a lamb without spot or blemish. They killed that lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they were instructed to put the blood on the doorposts and on the upper lintel of their home. They put on the doorposts on the top part of their door the blood of the lamb that was slain, the spotless blood, the blood of the spotless lamb. They ate bread without yeast to remember the haste with which they left Egypt. They drank four cups of wine to remember the four phrases that God used to speak of their redemption. He said, I'll take you out, I'll save you, I'll redeem you, I will take you as a nation. And they ate the lamb, the lamb that they had slaughtered, the lamb without wrinkle or spot or blemish. It was many years after this was commanded in the upper room that the Lord Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. And after the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We read that. But we should ask a question. In the celebration that Jesus had with the disciples, we hear about bread, we hear about the wine. Where was the lamb? Where was the spotless, perfect lamb whose blood protected from death? Well, the lamb was sitting in their midst. The spotless lamb was the one giving them instruction about keeping the Lord's Supper, about to provide a far greater redemption than even that which was given to Israel way back in Exodus. And the plague of the firstborn that was to be visited on the people of Israel and the people of Israel being saved from death through the blood of the lamb, that same sort of thing is promised now to all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To all of you that trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you receive the blood of the lamb which saves you from death. Death will pass over you too. And for all of you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will live forever and ever and ever with him. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. This is the Lord's Supper. Springing from the, springing from the practice of, of Passover, the Lord's Supper is given to the church, reminding us of its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. Baptism is also connected in Scripture to the Old Testament. And I want to show you how. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. You can find it with me in your Bibles on page 1169. And I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 12. I'm going to focus on 11 and 12 in particular. But I want to direct your attention to this section of scripture in Colossians chapter 2. So we can take a look at it together. All right, I'm going to read Colossians 2, page 1169, starting at verse 8, reading through verse 12. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him 
the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I want to direct your attention again to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the connection that I want to draw for you. The connection is that in Colossians chapter 2, there is a connection made between circumcision and baptism. And this helps us to understand why it is the Reformed, why Reformed Christians practice baptism the way that we do, because of this connection that's made in Colossians chapter 2 between circumcision and baptism. And stick with me here, because we're, we're in it now. So we're just going to keep going. So circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign and seal of the righteousness that Abraham first had by faith. Let me just direct your attention to Romans chapter 4. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to go through this quickly. I'm going to read to us from Romans chapter 4, which is right here, verse 9 through 12. And this is what 9 through 12 of Romans chapter 4 says. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of that faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So you you hear that that word that is repeated over and over and over in that small grouping of verses is this word circumcision. And what Romans chapter 4 tells us is that circumcision was not the way that Abraham was saved. It's not that he was saved because he was circumcised. What Romans 4 tells us is that he had faith. Those that belong to the Lord are always saved by the grace of God through faith. And this was the case for Abraham as well. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was saved by trusting in the Lord. That is the way that he was saved. And the sign and the seal that the Lord God gave to Abraham was circumcision. He said, having believed, you should be circumcised. This is the sign that I'm giving to you. This is the seal of your faith, circumcision. And the way that he was commanded to, to keep this was in the following way. He's like, Abraham was circumcised, and then he was also commanded to circumcise his son. And the way that circumcision worked within the people of Israel is this way, is that if you came to trust in the one true God, to trust in the Lord God, you would be welcomed into fellowship if you were circumcised, if the males were circumcised. And having been circumcised, you would also circumcise your sons. This was the way that the sign and seal of faith operated in the Old Testament. And and the Reformed have seen that, that this is the way that you came into the community of faith. It's not that circumcision was itself saving, but it was the marker of the people of God. This was the way that you knew that you were a part of this covenant community. And so knowing that the way that this was administered was to say, hey, if you've come to trust in the Lord God, you're circumcised. If you're born into a believing family, you're circumcised. We do it the same way. If you come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you're baptized. It's the sign and seal of faith. And that baptism is then given to your children. And so Reformed churches like ours baptize believers along with their children and do so because of the connection that the scriptures draw because of circumcision and baptism. Acts chapter 2 also speaks to the way that the Reformed understand the way that baptism is supposed to function. You can turn there with me if you'd like. Otherwise, I'll read from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 says this. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gives a speech And then he gives a call to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first part of Acts chapter 2 is this sermon that he preaches. And I'm going to start reading in verse 37. It's on page 1082 if you want to look with me. Otherwise, just I'll read it for us. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Now, the way that Reformed Christians read this is that they know, all right, so Peter's preached this sermon and people ask, what should we do? And he says, repent and believe because this is for you and your children. And the Reformed read that and they say, this is part of why we baptize children. Because at the very beginning, when the call goes out, Peter says, this is for you and for your children. Now, let me speak a word on behalf of the Baptists here, okay? What the Baptists do is they say this. All right, so Peter says, repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.